Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anybody that needs to uh, get a drink or go to the restroom or anything like that, now's the time. You, you won't be long. You won't be long, but you won't be able to leave. We've been in a series called Jesus Who. Jesus Who. Today's is the second part in the Dead Man Walking, and this one, this one is called Surely This Man Was the Son of God. You won't be here long, but I hope that uh, hope you hear what I'm saying. Who has a cross on today? Who's wearing a cross today? Anybody? Any type of cross, earring, necklace, anything. I'd like you to take it off, if at all possible. You'll put it back on, trust me. Just take it off, and I want you to hold it in whatever's your strongest hand. I want you to hold it in whichever's your strongest hand, just like this. Just hold it right out in front of you. Anyone that has a cross on. I'll give you further instruction as we go. Crucifixion is a Latin word. And the word is a powerful word, and I think words are important for us to know. Where they come from, their derivation. Excruciate means out of or from the cross. And I think we'd all agree that the description of excruciating would be severe, awful, great agony. So that we're clear, we're talking about the cross today. And the cross was excruciating. The pain that Jesus went through in the days leading to the cross and on the cross were excruciating. In 1996, a doctor by the name of Dr. David Tarasaka wrote a profound examination of the medical aspects of the crucifixion, and I relied heavily on that today. Crucifixion included many steps, but prior to the crucifixion, there was a flogging. There was a flogging. It included being struck with fists, being kicked, being spit upon, and, and a lot more. But prior to that, prior to this event happening, we can make the assumption that Jesus Christ was in good health. Let's look at the facts. The facts are that he was a carpenter for 30 years. That's physical work. Then for three years, he walked the land. He didn't take the dart bus. He walked the land. He ate very healthy foods of the land. 
So it's reasonable to assume he was in good health. But see, here's the thing. The night before the crucifixion, he didn't have any sleep. And he was forced to walk 2.5 miles during which he suffered great anguish. He suffered six trials. Six illegal trials. We'll talk more about that in a second. Six illegal trials. He went through six trials and they were all illegal. He was mocked by all in each of those trials and along the way. He was severely beaten step by step. And here maybe is the worst part. He was abandoned by all of his friends and by his father. Matthew 26, 17 through 29 details the Last Supper. You can read it another time. We're going to fly through these scriptures. But it detailed the Last Supper and how he would give his body and his blood. This was the first communion. It was held in the upper room. We always hear about the upper room, but there's something ironic about the upper room. Then when they left that, because we've talked about the Last Supper, we've talked about communion. He went on to Gethsemane, the garden. Gethsemane means oil press. And oil in the Bible is used to represent the Holy Spirit. I find no small irony that he went to the garden of Gethsemane where he was pressed down. And yet the Spirit was coming forth. A lot of you have heard the debate whether or not Jesus actually sweat drops of blood. But it's an actual medical condition. It's called hematidrosis. It's been documented both before and since. It's, it's the epitome of anguish. The Bible details in Luke 26.56 that he was abandoned by man. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. All of them. The prophetic Psalm 22 and in verse 11, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Folks, he was betrayed by Judas, and he was arrested by the Jews. All his disciples deserted him. His friends, his closest friends, for three years. Can you imagine, in one day, all of your friends leaving your side? Then John 18.12 speaks of Jesus being bound. Then brought to the city in the court of the high priest near the upper room. There's the irony, folks. They just celebrated the first communion, the last supper, broke the bread, drank the wine, right near, right near where he was going to be, the beginning of his condemnation. I mentioned before that the trials of Jesus were all illegal, and there's many reasons why. The rules, their very own rules were that trials could only occur in the regular meeting places of the Sanhedrin, not where the Sanhedrin lived, which was in the high palace of the high, or the palace of the high priest. Trials could not occur on the eve of the Sabbath or on high holy days or feast days or at night. This was nighttime. A guilty verdict could only be pronounced the day following the trial. The day following the trial. No one could be put to death without witnesses, and those witnesses must agree. And they didn't. And there weren't. Under law, the Sanhedrin could not pronounce a death penalty. 
They couldn't. They didn't have the power. And yet they did. They did so surreptitiously. John 18.31 speaks of only the Romans could put someone to death, yet they found a way around it. Mark 15.15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and then handed him over to be crucified. What does a flogging consist of? We read that word and then we skip blithely through in our lives with little or no pain, comparatively speaking. For Romans, you could beat somebody to death by flogging them. You could literally beat them to death. There was no restriction. But for Jews, there was the law of 39, one from death. That's what their little saying was, one from death. They felt like 40 lashes would would kill a person. But 39, you were just one from death. They tied Jesus to a like a stone piece with a ring on it. Somewhat bent over. And they struck him with a leather whip. Multiple leather strands with pieces of bone and metal. And chunks of metal on the end. It's called a flagrum. The first few strikes, skin was stripped from the back. The first few times, just the first few strikes, skin was literally ripped away from Jesus' back. The next few strikes dug deep into the muscle, stripping Jesus' back to the bone. The next strikes literally dug into the bone of Jesus, chipping away. The loss of blood was magnificent. Most people, most people died just on this part. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Why didn't he die? Because he had a cross to bear. He wasn't being tricked into this. He wasn't going to go as far as he thought he could go or wanted to go. He was going all the way. Jesus survived the beating because he had a cross to bear. Are you still holding yours? Those of you who I asked you, I want you to hold it. I don't want you to rest it. I want you to hold it. Matthew 27, 28 through 30 details how the soldiers stripped Jesus. They put a scarlet robe on him, then a crown of thorns. And unlike the crown of thorns on the picture on the front of your your program where you came in today, most people think of that because most pictures depict that. But in reality, the crown of thorns was more than likely a cap of thorns that covered his entire scalp. The thorns themselves were one to two inches long. They were so hard they could be hammered into wood. Often they were used for firewood. As many of you know, head wounds bleed profusely because of the vascularity of the scalp. Jesus had already bled profusely during the beating. And now, they made a crown mocking him. The soldiers made a crown mocking him. And they shoved it on his head deep through his skin to even the scalp. 
Then they used the stick that they had given him. Here, you're supposed to be the king of the Jews. Here's your staff. And they hit him on the head repeatedly. They spit on him while they did it. They punched him in his face. They just beat him and beat him and beat him on the head, driving these thorns deep into his brow and on the top of his head. Many would have died from this beating, but Jesus didn't die. Why? Because he still had to bear our cross. Isaiah 50, verse 8 and 52, 13 through 14, very prophetic passages, prophesied that Jesus would be beaten beyond recognition, that people would not recognize him. They would be appalled to look upon him. And that no one would come to his aid. And no one did. Could this be why, maybe this is the reason why he wasn't recognized after the resurrection. Maybe that's why. We talked a couple sermons ago about that. Why didn't they recognize him? How could they not know him? Maybe this was why. Because he was beaten beyond recognition. Because he no longer resembled a man. The Via Dolorosa. We've heard that. There's a beautiful song. One of my favorite Easter songs. Down the Via Dolorosa. Called The Way of Suffering. But what you might not know is that Jesus, with the patibulum, which is the crossbar, how it really happened is he didn't really carry a whole cross. He carried the crossbar, which weighed between 80 and 110 pounds. I want to remind you, he was beaten mercilessly till his back was turned into literal hamburger. Then they threw the robe on him, soaking up the blood and the flesh. And then they put this patibulum across his back, grinding into the open and raw wounds. And then he was forced to walk 650 yards with this on his back. 80 to 110 pounds after being beaten mercilessly for many, many hours. No sleep, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Many would have died during this phase. But Jesus didn't. He didn't die. Why? Because he had a burden of sin to bear. Yours and mine. Let's talk about the nails in his feet and hands. When the crucifixion begins... They lay him down. They strip his robe from him, which by now was soaked with blood and flesh. They rip it off like a surgical bandage. Can you imagine having surgery and then having the robe ripped from your tender, raw skin? Starting the awful bleeding all over again. And then they threw him down. They threw him down onto the ground. Not gently, but they pushed him down with 80 to 110 pounds tied to him. They took nails 
six to seven inches long. They were large nails. They were spikes. Many of us have been told in our childhood that they were put into his hands because of the the nails into his feet and hands. But the reality was, in this culture, your wrists were considered your hands and your the bones of your hands could never handle your weight. So what they did instead, and I want you to take your thumb, and I want you to feel this place right here, and I want you to press in between those two bones just slightly behind the wrist, and I want you to press as hard as you can press. There's nothing at all comfortable about that feeling. But instead of pressing, they nailed these spikes through the wrist bone, first on one side and then on the other. They were careful not to stretch his arms out too far or the process and the purpose of crucifixion would not happen. And then they took his feet, one above the other, just like this. I can't even pretend to make my legs go like they made his legs. They took the same spike, seven inches long, and they found the space right on the arch of his foot. It generally took between three and four strikes. To drive it through his feet into the wood. Then they lifted him up and they put him on something called a stipe which was the singular piece of wood rising out of the ground. They affixed the cross to that. And then as you might imagine, the weight of Jesus figured to be between 165 and 185 pounds. I want you to think about the nerves, the metatarsal nerves that are in your feet. I want you to think about 185 pounds of weight pressing in this awkward position. The weight of the hands. The dilemma of which do I press on in order to gain relief for just a moment. For when the weight of his body rested on his wrists, the searing pain shot through his wrists, up through his arm, up through his neck, and straight to his brain. The most excruciating pain one can ever imagine. And in this stretching torment, he bore the full weight on his wrists. But you know, hanging like that, you can't breathe. Oh, you can draw a breath in and you can draw a breath out if only you can press up 
and draw in a breath. In order to breathe, he has to put his full weight on that one nail driven through both of his feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs. It's medically documented. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the body. The muscles get knotted in these deep, intense knots. The result is relentless, throbbing pain that does not go away, no matter what he does. The pectoral muscles, which are the chest muscles, and the intercostal muscles, which allow you to breathe in and breathe out. They're unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but it cannot be expelled. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the cramps partially subside. But almost in spasms, Jesus pushes himself up to exhale to bring the life-giving oxygen into his body. And maybe this is when and this is how he was able to speak the words that he said, seven things that he said. And in order to say them, he had to go through excruciating pain to utter these words. Please don't take these lightly. The first words that he said, he looked down at the Roman soldiers who were casting lots for a seamless garment. These were the same men who were in the process of killing him. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was in the process of dying at these men's hands, and yet he was forgiving them. Yet we can't forgive those who say something to us that offends us, whether intentionally or otherwise. We can't forgive so many things. Yet Jesus, Jesus, perfect Jesus from the cross forgave the men while looking down in excruciating agony in order to say these words. Just to say these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second to the penitent thief. The second to the penitent thief. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, when the other thief, and both, make no mistake, both of those thieves, when they were put on that cross, they knew that they were supposed to be there. They knew they deserved the punishment they got. Not Jesus. But the one, the penitent thief, recognized, hey, there's something different about this guy. And he asked for inclusion. And Jesus, putting himself through that same searing pain, pressed against those feet, pulled on those arms, and he drew in a breath, and he gave him salvation while yet he was dying. The man that was cursing him right on the other side, he expended no effort to condemn him. 
He expended effort to forgive and to save. The third, please don't miss this. This has been one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. The third thing that he said, looking down at his terrified, grief-stricken mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, given this amazing job of bearing the Son of Man, the very Son of God. Can you imagine? And John, who by records indicate that he was probably he was probably in his adolescence. He was young. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Behold thy mother. And then looking at Mary, his mother, Woman, behold thy son. He was caring for his mother. He was establishing a pattern of love and care after he was gone. Yet in order to say that, he had to press his feet against this spike driven through his feet. And he had to pull on these spikes driven through his wrists in order to just say, Behold thy mother. Woman, behold thy son. The fourth. The fourth cry. And it, and it echoes back to the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like you were the only person in the world that understood what you were going through? Have you ever? Have you ever? Some of you felt like that today. Some of you feel like that right now. Jesus understands. Don't take this lightly, what I am saying. Jesus understands how you feel because He felt the same way. It's now... This, this, uh, this just rips me apart when I think of this. The hours of limitless pain. Hanging. Cycles of twisting spasms that go through his body. Periods of asphyxiation where he can't breathe. Searing pain as tissue is torn from his back. That raw back that's been ripped open. But every time he raises himself to breathe, he has to scrape his back against this rough wood. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain envelops his heart. Deep in the chest. The sac that surrounds your heart is called the pericardium. And it slowly starts to fill with serum and begins to compress and squeeze the heart. Let us remember again from the 22nd Psalm in the 14th verse, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It's almost over. It's almost over. The loss of fluids has reached a deadly level. 
He's very critical now. The compressed heart is struggling to pump what is ever-thickening blood through the veins and arteries of Jesus. The tortured lungs are making frantic efforts to just breathe in sips of air. Dehydration starts to take its toll. And the pain never stops going to the brain. He never gets relief. Jesus gasps his fifth cry, indicating his humanity. I thirst. I thirst. He was human. Let us remember another verse from the prophetic 22nd Psalm. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. A sponge soaked in Pascha, which was a cheap wine that the Roman soldiers would keep with them, is lifted to his lips. Apparently, he doesn't take any. An extremist is your body. That's the term described for your body. In such trauma, you are at the very point of death. And Jesus was an extremist. Make no mistake about it, Jesus knows that the chill of death is invading his body. And because of that, he utters his sixth tortured whisper. It is finished. Those of you who had a cross, you can lay it down now. You don't have to hold it anymore. Because Jesus already did. He held it. He carried it. He bore it. So you can put it down. The mission of atonement has been completed. It is finished. Not his life is finished, not, wow, I can't take any more. Wow, this is really hard. But my mission, why I was sent here in the first place, is nearly over. With one last surge of strength, Imagine what it took for him to say these final words. He presses his torn feet against the nail. He pulls with his hands, dragging his raw back across the rough timber to simply say, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. Listen, the rest you know. I could, I could tell you what the Bible says about this word or that word, what the Latin or the Greek or the Hebrew says, and what it's derived from, but it all comes down to this. Jesus' body could no longer draw in air. His heart could no longer pump. In effect, you could say it was broken. In this time, what would happen when people are crucified in order to bring about a quicker death, 
they would do something called crura fracture, which is where they use a, a pole and they break the legs. And so when the legs are broken, one can no longer push yourself up to draw in a breath. And in just moments, you die. They did that to the penitent thief. They did that to the arrogant thief. And they went to do it to Jesus, but they didn't have to because he was already dead. What they did to make sure that he was dead, just to make sure, we've got to make sure he's dead. There's a very specific place that they drove a spear into the side of Jesus. It's the fifth inner space between their ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. The 34th verse of the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to John says, And immediately they can't, there came out blood and water. There was an escape of watery fluid from the sac surrounding the heart. Remember the pericardium I talked about. Blood and water flowed forth. It's pretty conclusive post-mortem evidence that Jesus did in fact die of a broken heart. Usually people died of suffocation, but he didn't. He died of a broken heart. So we've seen a glimpse into the very epitome of evil man can commit against man and man can commit against God. And you might be depressed. And you might be despondent. And you might feel hopeless. But the fact is, is there's a sequel to this story. A glimpse of the infinite mercy of God toward man when yet we don't deserve it. The Easter morning... It's coming. It's coming. But I would encourage you to be prepared and be prepared now. Prepare yourself now. Prepare yourself every day for Easter morning. Even the centurion who was the guy who was in charge of the four Roman soldiers, he recognized who Jesus was when he said, surely this man was the Son of God. You know, if Jesus only died this kind of horrible death, this kind of terrible suffering, if He only died this so that we could pray that prayer of salvation and know that our eternal security was in His hands, that we would die and go to heaven, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? It would be a great thing. None of us could argue, wow, our salvation, that's why He did it. That's why He did it. But I would argue with you that that's not the only reason He did it. That's not the only reason. Jesus was bit, he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was tortured, he was nailed to a wooden cross, not just so that we could live with him forever. That's not the only reason, that's a big reason, don't get me wrong, I don't take that lightly. He did it also so that we could live beautifully here on earth. 
He did it also with the assurance of salvation, with the assurance that he cares enough for us to look out for us even from the cross. What about you? Do you live your life beautifully? Today is an interesting day for me. I can tell you that in my preparation for this sermon, I have never been under a greater attack from the devil, ever. Oh, he said devil in church. Yep, the devil, the enemy, the bad guy. And he did not want me to preach the sermon. I can guarantee you that. But I can also guarantee you this. Just as Jesus gained the victory today, he gained the victory then. He gained the victory on the cross. Jesus wasn't tricked into the cross. He wasn't dragged to the cross. He went willingly. He knew what was coming, and he went anyway. Victory. And that's how he wants you to live your life. Some people say, oh, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. Let that go. That whole happiness business, you've been faked out by the world. We were never once promised happiness. But what we were promised is joy. And in joy, there is a choice. David talked about this last week. Joy. Joyful living. That's what God wants you to do. You know, you fight with your spouse. You fight with your neighbor. You fight with your coworkers. You hate your job. You wake up feeling terrible every morning. You're in pain. You've been victimized by many things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, I don't minimize any of those things. I don't minimize any of the challenges some of you face physically. Some of you face emotionally. Some of you face spiritually. Some of you face maritally. But I'm telling you, this is an interesting day for me. Because yesterday, and since October 15th of 2005, I have prayed every day for one girl. Her name was Kaylin Warren. Prayed every day. It's in my phone now to pray. I've changed it. I've changed it to pray for her family. Because she died. At 18 years and some months, she died. And we were at her memorial service where between 1,500 and 2,000 people. And some of you were, that are here now were at that service. And you can testify to the nurses. The nurses that took care of her came to the funeral and said, I don't know that I've ever been impacted by anybody this much before. The light of God was just in this girl. She was always caring for us. The one nurse told the story of one day when I came in and I was caring for Kaylin, I had a little bit of a cold. Of course, I had to wear a mask because you had to be careful of germs. But she could tell through the mask even that I had a cold. Oh, you have a cold? That's the day she went home to die. That's the day she went home to die. Folks, don't miss the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon, yes, it is that Jesus went to the cross. Yes, it is that he suffered awfully excruciating pain. Yes, he did it willingly and wantonly for you and for me. But the point of this sermon is that if you live your life in replete victimhood, if you live your life in defeat, if you live your life in hopelessness, if you live your life in indecision, if you live your life in disappointment, then much of what he died for is lost on you. Those of you who know me know that I have made in prior parts of my life, and I'm sure I'll make them again, terrible mistakes in judgment, 
in action, decisions that I've made. But I can tell you one day, I got it. It simply clicked. Some of you have this beautiful, incredible smile. Some of you have this laughter that when you laugh, everybody laughs with you. Some of you have a compassionate heart, but it's hidden behind years and years and years of pain. Let it go. Let it go. Kaylin, many of the people spoke of Kaylin yesterday, and they said, I, I was so moved by her compassion for me. I was so moved by her statement that she, her statement of faith was so powerful, even at 12 years old. But the most powerful thing I think I heard yesterday was, Her mother and father, her mother and father asked her just days from her death, are you afraid of dying? It's the first time they asked her, are you afraid of dying? This is their child. This is their daughter. This is their sweet cherub that they've loved every day of her life. And she looked at them like they were crazy. Are you kidding? No. She was excited. Her only concern, her only worry, was, are you guys going to be all right? Many people stood up to the microphone yesterday and said, I'm jealous of her. I'm jealous that she gets to be in heaven. She gets to be with Jesus. I want to ask you, does your faith does your, the way you live, does your, and I'm not talking about the amount of money you have, I'm not talking about the number of clothes you have, or how prestigious your job is, or how fancy a house you live in, or what kind of car you drive. I am talking about your life. Does your life make other people who don't know Jesus want to know Jesus? And when you pass from this earth, Folks, it is coming as surely as I'm standing here. And when your life is over, will somebody say, oh, man, I'm jealous of them. They get to be with Jesus. You know how you tell that story each and every day of your life? You tell it through how you live. I put a post on Kalen's website. I've told you all about the website before. I put a post on there and I said at 41 years old, I don't understand how I could have made all the mistakes I made in my life. And yet, Kaylin, this wonderful child of 18 years old who has honored God since as old as she could remember and gone to his arms faithfully and fearlessly. Why does she have to suffer so? But the amazing dichotomy is is that she lived her life beautifully. She lived her life so someone would say, what is it that this young lady has? When I met Kaylin several years ago, I knew it immediately. I felt it immediately. There was something different about this kid. What's different about you? What's different about you? The dichotomy that I felt yesterday is 
my sweet and wonderful daughter. Some of you will get to meet her. Her name is Lily. She's this beautiful, beautiful cherub. Kaylin was a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. Physically beautiful, spiritually beautiful, emotionally beautiful. And so is my daughter. And don't think as her dad, my daughter's 14, going to be 15 in September. Don't think as I'm watching this occur, I'm thinking and I'm praying and the searing pain goes through my brain. Oh God, please don't make me go through this with my child. You all know Doyle. He's the sweet kid with dimples you could climb into and pitch a tent. Please don't make me go through this with him. Please don't make me have to live this challenge. And I'm telling you, in this room, some of us will be touched in that way. In this room, some of us will have a lingering cold, will go to the doctor, and the doctor will look us in the eye and say, I am terribly sorry. Why? That I have a cold? There's no cure for the common cold? I have a friend just like that. I'm going to be seeing him today because God chose to heal him. His name is John Campanella. He's one of the finest men I have ever met in my life. He went to the doctor with what he thought was a cold he couldn't shake. And just a few hours later, he found that he has this massive tumor pressing against all of the organs in his chest. And they cut him stem to stern, and they took it out, and he went through the most awful chemo and radiation you can possibly imagine. And now he's laughing and he's smiling. But I looked at my daughter. She was at this competition, this twirling competition. And I'm looking at all these kids, all these beautiful little girls, and I'm thinking, wow, I just came from this to this. And while I'm on my way there, this is how God is, folks. Don't miss how God is. Don't miss how God is and how he can be in your life if you let him. I have a buddy of mine named Sean. He's the other Sean. There's, there's two other Seans in my previous church in Ohio. There was three Seans in this church. We, all, we, had, we had this rule. You had, someone in your family needs to be named Sean. I get a call from the other other Sean, Sean Anderson, who says, you're never going to believe this. Sean Athey got a kidney. Sean Athey is a buddy of ours. I got to see him baptized. I got to see him and his whole family come to Christ because of the joy that someone lived with that he wanted. And he and his whole family came to Christ. I got to watch them all be baptized. Well, Sean only had one kidney and it was failing. It was only working about 10%. And for the last four years... He's been on dialysis. And in December, the doctors told his dad, he's only got about four months to go. And yesterday, you can do the math, four months from that conversation, Sean Athey got a kidney. You never know. You never know. My challenge to you today, my plea if I, could, if I could do it, David, I know David's heart. And I know if David could do it, if, he, if, if there was something that we could do, backflips or, or something, if there was something that we could do to help you see what we've seen. Listen, some of you have got guilt you've been carrying around from something you did or are doing now in your life. Some of you have got ways that you're living your life right now that are unhealthy, ways you're treating each other, ways you're treating your family. All of those things. Some of those stories I know, and some of those I don't. But rest assured, God knows it all. He knows each and every 
little subtle nuance in your family and in your life. Don't let that stop you from living with joy. Don't let that stop you from rising above, from climbing above, from standing on what seems to be so strong and saying, I'm gaining the victory on this because of Jesus. I'm going to live joyfully because of Jesus. I know that this is a hard thing and it's going to be a hard thing, but when I go to my job that I struggle with and when I start to feel down or when I start to hate my job or people around me, I'm going to be Jesus. I'm going to do like Jesus did and I'm going to care for them. And I'm going to start listing the things I'm thankful for. When you look at your spouse and you think, oh, I just wish I had a hatchet right now. Be Jesus to people. Be Jesus to people. There is nothing that's a better testimony than a life beautifully lived. They, Terry can, can verify this. Yesterday they listed the number of medical procedures that Kaylin had done to her in the past 17 months. Hundreds and hundreds of needles. The one thing she hated most was needles. She had ports. She had needles this long into the bone. She had needles inserted into her brain from her spine. Her favorite saying was, it is what it is. Because she lived her life beautifully, countless people came to Christ. I'm going to leave you with this. How many people have come to Christ because of you? How many people have come to Christ because of you? Listen, I don't know how you make that happen. I don't know, I don't know how you change things around. For me, it was perspective. For me, it was, you know what? I have made a raging mess of a big chunk of my life. I've hurt a lot of people. And I set about on a journey to try to make amends where I could and live my life as beautifully as I could despite the pain. Some of you know I'm in constant physical pain. But you know what? I've learned to rejoice. Sounds crazy. I've learned to rejoice for that pain because while I'm feeling that pain, I'm still able to see my children. I'm still able to see my wife, whom I adore. Oh, oh. This is what she said yesterday. The mother... Laurie Warren is just, the whole family is incredible. But she said, when asked about the pain, she said, you know what, if Jesus could take the pain of the cross, I could take this pain. 18 people. Some of you are in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s. We have so much more maturity. I'm telling you at a young age, she got it. And we need to get it today. Someone asked me, how do you get that? You know, what process do you go through? It clicks. You just get it. And then you start living your life beautifully. And when you start feeling yourself sliding down that slippery slope into hopelessness and despair, when you start sliding down into that thing where you want to scream at your spouse or throw a brick if you have a brick or a hatchet if you have a hatchet, which if you do, I'm a little nervous about coming to your house for dinner. But if I do and you have steamed crabs, I will tough it out. 
every sermon. People are going to get it eventually. But I'm telling you, when you feel that happen, let it click. Let it remind you. This life is short, folks. This life is short, and for some of us, it is very short. Do you think the people on 9-11 thought when they walked out of their house complaining about, I know this is only three creams. I asked for four creams in my coffee. This is, I know it's only three. And they took the elevator to their... Do you think they had any idea? No. No. Live like you're fighting for your life. Live like you're fighting for a beautiful, beautiful life. I can't put words into God's mouth, but I can tell you, I think that's probably what he would like. Because nobody comes to Christ because of a sourpuss. Nobody comes to Christ because of a frown. Nobody comes to Christ because of complaint. They come to Christ because they say, man, let me tell you what he's done for me. I'm in pain, but I'm alive. I've got this big test coming tomorrow, but thank God I was able to study for extra hours. Yeah, my husband drives me crazy. Yeah, my wife drives me crazy. But there are many people out there who wish they had a spouse. My job, the job I either have or I don't have. There's so many things. It's perspective. Looking at it through God's eyes. Thank you so much for giving me this time for indulging me to to describe to you something that I think every Easter so many churches fly through. Let's pray. Father, I'm... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.